CC. We almost always talk about worship coming up for Sunday, right? Did we do that this Sunday? No. Okay. Did you hear that? We did not. We did not this week talk and pray about worship. And so what I'm going to preach on today, this guy, this guy had no idea. <laughs> this is Holy Spirit did. Um, I'm just blown away. I'm just blo- Whenever you guys are just kind of like, if you ever wonder, is God at work? And is the Holy Spirit real? Is he? Stuff like this, I'm getting shivers as I'm sitting there and you guys are singing this song, Oceans. If, 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 if the Lord works today and I do my job, you will never sing that song the way you've done until today. I just want to put that out there. We're talking about discipleship and we're talking about following. Is anybody getting sort of tired of talking about discipleship? Okay, that's good. That's good, because as you've gathered, this is not uh, a sermon series just like any other sermon series where we talk about it for a few weeks and then we're done. Uh, This sermon series, it's really anchoring us, you guys, in everything that we are and everything that we're. We're talking about following Jesus, discipleship. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, not just believes in him, but follows Jesus, invites others to follow Jesus, and follows Jesus in community. Here's a question that I want to ask. It's somewhat related to that I want to ask you as, as we begin. Is the Jesus that you're following, does he ever say and do anything that bothers you? Does he ever do and say anything that startles you? Does he do and say anything that offends you? Does he do and say anything that just makes you go, no, I, does, he, does he do that? Look, some of us grew up in churches where, rightfully so, we sort of, we've kind of, we've kind of, in some ways, rejected kind of a, a Jesus of conditional love, a Jesus of guilt, manipulation, a Jesus of religiosity, and I understand that, but I'm, I'm afraid in some ways that the pendulum for some of us swings so far the other way that we read about Jesus and we just screen out all the things about him that bothers us. So my question again is, the Jesus that you're following, does everything about him just make you comfortable, you just love it? Or does this Jesus say, do things that startle you, that make you upset, that makes you go, I don't know about that, Jesus. Does he he do that to you? Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I want to propose maybe, just maybe, he is a Jesus of your making. Maybe he is a Jesus of our creation. Maybe he is a Jesus, a cardboard Jesus that we cut and paste so that nothing about him bothers us, offends us. And the problem with that is that Jesus will never transform you. That Jesus will never change you. He's not real. See, here's the thing about a real relationship with the real person, if you've ever been in one. A real relationship with the real person is one in which there is what? There's disagreement. There's, there's pushback. There is, there is, I don't like that about you. There is, even in the most passionate loving relationship, there is that. Why? Because you're dealing with a real person in a real relationship. So again, I want to ask you, the Jesus that you follow, is he a real person? Are you involved in a real relationship? 
Does he say and do things that startle you, that bothers you, that makes you go, ah, take some time out. I just need some space. For, does he do that to you? Or do you, do you see a Jesus scripture where everything about him just makes you go, yeah, of course. See, here, here's what John says, see? John, in, in, in first John, first John 3, listen to what he says. Ah, forget it. I just memorized. Here we go. First John 3. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth and know that we've set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what it feels like for your heart to condemn you? Of course you do. Henry Nouwen says that is probably the biggest challenge as followers of Jesus is our self-condemnation, guilt, shame, insecurity, sense of worthlessness. We all know what that's like. Now here's the question. If your Jesus is a product of your heart, then how does the same Jesus overcome the condemning voices of that same heart? How does the Jesus you made up in your own heart overcome these powerful voices coming from your heart? You know that voice that says, you're so hopeless. Who would love you? You'll never get over that. Is anybody tracking with me this morning? See, see that's why this, past, this verse ends with what? But God is what? Greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Is that good news? Listen, the only God that can overcome these powerful self-condemnation voices of our hearts that we all know is a God who can say over that heart, your heart says you're worthless. I say you're so worthy that I died for you. Your heart says nobody would love you. My heart says, I will love you and never leave you nor forsake you. See, it's when you have a Jesus that tells you some things that you don't want to be true, that you'll be changed when he tells you things that are just too good to be true. Let me ask you again. Does your Jesus that you follow say and do things that startle, that bother, that... Is he safe? No, he's not safe. Who said anything about being safe? But he's good, I tell you. One last time. The Jesus that you're following, does he startle? Does he bother? Does he poke? Does he... Pr listen, listen, my wife and I, good Lord, I just need some space away from you, okay? I mean, I love you. I, we, I am committed to you. Till, to you but I, that is a real relation. Does that ever happen to you when you read the Bible? Who are you following? Jesus of your making? Or Jesus of Scripture? We are uh, continuing our series, guys, and uh, today, uh, the title of the sermon is, Have You Been Baptized? 
I'm going to have a big ask at the end of this, a big ask at the end of this sermon, a huge ask. You guys, the thing that amazes me about you, the community, is when I, when I challenge you with like the hardest, you respond the best. Like the heart of the challenge, like you respond the best. And today's going to be one of those Sundays. At the end, there's going to be a big ask. And I am hopeful and praying that there will be a response to the challenge. We're talking about baptism. The launching point of our, of our sermon series, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, class, if you've been here for, the main verb is what? In that passage, the main verb is? No, it's not go. Hey, the main verb is what? It's make disciples. English majors make disciples. Main verb. And then there are these things called participles or subordinate verbs that unpack the main verb, make disciples. And they are go, teach, and baptize. Simply put, a big part of what it means to make disciples is that you're going, you're teaching, and you're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to make disciples, be a disciple? Get baptized. So three quick overlying truths we're going to dig underneath. First and foremost, baptism is God's idea. Hello? This isn't religious tradition. I know some of y'all grew up in churches, Catholic churches. Other, this isn't religious tradition. This isn't some sort of a, you know, a, 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 a church tradition. Baptism is God's idea. I told you this all the, I, throughout this sermon series. Half of transformation is learning things. The other half is what? Unlearning things. And some of the stuff we need to unlearn is that in this modern church tradition, baptism has become sort of this optional token rather than a vital step in our faith. Yeah. I know some of y'all sitting there, you think that. You're like, this is stuff that church made up, a bunch of people made up, and I, I, I could do it. I know it, does. it is something that God invented. Now, now check this out. And the disciples see them doing it in, in, the, in the book of Acts. Peter preaches for a sermon, and the Bible says 3,000 people came to know Christ, right? His invitation wasn't, okay, everybody, close your eyes. Now, if you want to receive Jesus, raise your hands. His invitation was repent and what? Be? And by the way, can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people in one day? I wonder how long that took. Baptism is not, listen, baptism is not some religious tradition or church. It is God's idea. Okay? Secondly, baptism is an act of obedience to Christ's command. Jesus said it. Disciples are doing it. Disciples doing just that in the book of Acts where baptism is administered consistently. So let me say this once and for all. Do you take obedience to Jesus seriously? There are, listen, there are literally two things out of all the things that he said, two things that are ordinances or sacraments that he gave you and I, church, to do. One is the Lord's Supper, which we take very seriously. The other is what? It's baptism. We just kind of have this communion. Oh, yeah, Lord's Supper, I can't wait. Baptism, take it or leave it. Listen. Baptism is as much a matter of obedience 
as anything else he says in the Gospels. So I'm thinking, if you're going, take it or leave it, chances are there are other things that he says were like, take it or leave it. But the third reason we're going to unpack on why baptism is such a serious thing is that it's a powerful declaration, you guys, of the gospel. Listen, I can't, I can't, I can't say it any stronger than that. Baptism, with each baptism, we are witnessing visually and viscerally God's power to rescue people that he calls us on. Baptism, baptism shines an enormous microphone on who God is. Baptism is the most powerful sermon that anybody in this church will ever hear the entire year. Let me say that again. Baptism is the most powerful sermon that you will see and hear. I'm not exaggerating. Now, listen, I could already sense a bunch of uncomfortable and I'm baptism and I got all these ideas. I don't know if I'm, I need you to do me a favor. To the best of your ability, I need you to have big thoughts about baptism. Great thoughts, not small thoughts. This isn't a game. This is something, take it or leave it. I need you to realize that what baptism represents is the very reason why you and I are sitting here today worshiping our Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to take you on a journey, okay? Because here's the thing. By the way, note takers and, you know, like today's, you're going to love today. Because we're going to cover so much scripture, okay? And, and your pastor who talks fast, I'm going to talk even 10 times faster, okay? Because I need to get through a lot of this stuff. Listen, listen. Because here's the thing. The reason why we're looking at scriptures, because whatever I say, my opinions, it doesn't matter. Your opinions and what you think, that doesn't matter. What matters is what God says. So I'm just going to say what God says, okay? So to begin, let's look at Jesus' baptism. Do you all know that he was baptized? Mark chapter 1, okay? We're going to begin here, and then we're going to go back to Genesis and come all the way back. Mark 1, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was, what, say it with me? Baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water. I'm going to say that like, Ten times today, coming up out of the water, coming up out of the water. He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. To understand Mark 1, we need to understand the history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Because here's the thing. Did you know that there are seeds of baptism all throughout the Old Testament? Did you know that baptism is on the New Testament? Did you know that there are seeds of baptism? Blup, blup, blup. That's what it sounds like to plant seeds, okay? Blup, 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 blup. Okay? Seeds throughout the Old Testament, okay? I combined two metaphors in my mind. Seeds planting and water dropping, okay? Blup, blup. There are seeds throughout the Old Testament. Oh, because here's the thing. Listen. Water or coming up out of the water was a big deal. Are you with me? 
Genesis 1. Check this out, you guys. Actually, before you go, before you go, Genesis 1. Close your eyes. Close your eyes, okay? Close your eyes and imagine. Imagine being a first century person in the Middle East. Actually, open your eyes. You could open your eyes, okay? Imagine. I'm going to close my eyes because it just helps me focus. Imagine first person, okay? Now, this is a time in which, this is a time in which, okay, you don't have the nautical technology that we do today, okay? There aren't sophisticated radars that tell you of upcoming storms. There aren't fancy schmancy ships, you know? So here's the thing. If you're living in the first century, in ancient people, chances are that you have lost people or you know people who've lost people in shipwreck. The sea, the oceans, the waters is this sense of mystery, is this uncontrollable, insurmountable force. Not just the oceans, but you might be inland, but here's the thing. You are dependent on your crops for a living. And during major flooding, your crops are wiped out, which means your entire livelihood could be wiped out. To the ancient people, waters, oceans, deep waters, was symbolic of chaos, of an uncontrollable, seemingly insurmountable force of nature. Waters, the oceans. By the way, I just thought of this. My wife, I'm glad she's here. My wife goes, I will never go on a cruise. She's been saying that for 20 years. Kimmy agrees. And I ask her, I go, why? Because she goes, because the ocean just freaks me out. How does the Bible begin? Genesis 1. God said, let there be a vault between the what? Waters. To separate the water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. In a time and a place in which waters, oceans, is something that people fear. Insurmountable, uncontrollable. We don't know. Page one of the Bible opens with the God who creates the world by what? Controlling and manipulating the very thing that what? People Page one of the Bible opens with a God saying, that thing that you fear, that thing that you think is uncontrollable, that thing that you think is insurmountable, it all bows down, what? To me. That's why centuries later, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and they're out on the sea and there's a massive storm and disciples and you and I are like, Jesus, aren't you gonna do something? We're freaking out and what happens? See, I'm praying that the Bible will come alive to you. Mark 4, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the, what? Waves, be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. By the way, the word calm in, in Greek literally means, and the sea became as still as glass. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves, what? Obey him. You don't have to fear the waters. Why? Because Yahweh, God of Israel says, wherever there's water, there is a way. Are you tracking? Are you tracking? <laughs> Genesis 7. Verse 24, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. The context is what? Context is God judges the world through what? Flood waters through what? Because of his, uh, humanity's sins. 
Water was a symbol of judgment for humans and God wipes out all of, and then verse one, but God, by the way, is anybody thankful for those two words? But God, but God, you find it throughout the Bible, but God, remember Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the dark and the ark, and he sent the wind over the earth and the waters receded. God brings Noah and his family through the waters of judgment. Wherever there is water, God the Yahweh says there is a way. Why? Because he is a God of rescue, a God of deliverance. And then the event that the nation of Israel was founded on. Moses is standing on the shores of what? The Red Sea, symbol of utter chaos and unknown. Behind him are two million Jewish people, terrified and hopeless. Behind them is the most powerful army, the Egyptian army persecuting them. And God intervenes. And what does he do? He parts the oceans and God's people pass through the waters on dry land. Church, are you following me? Are you following? Is Woo! He parts the waters. God holds back the Egyptian army through a wall of fire, and God's people pass through the water. And you thought baptism was just going to pass through the waters. And then the Egyptian army follow after them into the waters. God allows the waters to collapse. The same waters that vanquishes the enemies of God is the same water through which the people of God are rescued and cleansed. Oh, it gets better. The Israelite people at the river of Jordan, promised land is right there. They need to get across. How did they get across? The priests with the Ark of the Covenant dipped their toes in the river. The river is halted upstream. The river parts and God's people, what? Pass through the waters. Wherever there's water, there is, a, say with me, a way, a God of rescue. This theme, I, we could spend an hour here doing this. This theme is found throughout the Old Testament, so much so that the prophets are declaring of this truth. And look what Isaiah says. You know this passage, Isaiah 43.1. But now this is what the Lord says. He created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by my name. Listen, verse 2. When you pass through the, say it with me, waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, God of Israel, your Savior. The dominant narrative in the ancient world is when you see river, when you see water, you run. It's chaos, it's hardship, it's suffering. We don't know. But the Bible says that we have a God who says wherever there's water, there is a what? A way. Let me put it this way. Whatever the water, whatever the obstacle, whatever the hardship, whatever the challenge, the Bible says, Yahweh, the God of Israel says, I will bring you through it. Yeah. Yeah. 
We believe in a God who brings order out of chaos. Can I get an amen? A God who brings light out of darkness. A God who brings resurrection out of death. A God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you in times of loneliness. A God who says, whatever the challenge, whatever the challenge, I will bring you through the waters. So how powerful is it when God comes to earth in the form of humanity, the first thing he does to launch his mission is to come through the waters. Baptism. Who wants to get baptized today? Is this good news? You guys, this is amazing, amazing news. Do you remember what Jesus' name is? They say, what? You shall call his name Yeshua, which is Hebrew for God of salvation. He will save people from their sins. Yes, he is a God of deliverance, a God of rescue. I don't have to fear the waters of judgment. Why? Because he rescued me from the waters of judgment. He lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, and I need not fear condemnation anymore. I am a child of God, holy, blameless, righteous. I am rescued. And the Apostle Paul connects this explicitly when he says in 1 Corinthians 10.1, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual drink and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. How is baptism the of the gospel? Just as God rescued his people through the waters, you and I have been rescued from Satan, sin, and death through the waters of baptism. That is good news. Can you tell I'm excited about this? I lived and pastored for so many years before baptism hit home for me. That's why in 18 years of our church history, we have not done a lot of baptism. It's almost exclusively all on me. For years, I minimized what baptism was. And it's only until recently when I realized the significance. I mean, how powerful is this? That this is a declaration of the gospel. It is, it is this visual and visceral reminder that you and I, can, I just got to ask, has anybody been delivered from stuff? Has anybody been rescued from stuff? Can any, does anybody here have a testimony, man, of God's deliverance and God's rescue? Say amen. Amen. That's us. That's our story. We are people who've been rescued, people who've been delivered. That is the foundation of our faith. Now, how then does the specific act of being immersed in water and being brought back out of the water enact the gospel in three ways? Three ways. And this is where the New Testament comes in, is helpful. First way is it points to our identification with Jesus in his death and resurrection. 
Romans 6, verse 3. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ, Jesus in his baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the gospel of our Father, now we also may live new lives. No, let me be really clear. Baptism doesn't save you. We are saved through grace by faith in Christ alone. Can I get an amen? Yes. So if you were taught some stupid lie that says baptism makes you saved, baptism makes you a better Christian, it's nonsense, it's garbage. Baptism is just a symbol, an enactment of this powerful truth that we are saved by grace through faith. It is a biblical way to show that by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we place our faith in Christ, you and I become so joined, so identified, so united with Christ. Check this out. That as far as God's concerned, when Jesus died, we died. When Jesus rose to new life, hello somebody, we rose to new life. Man! So there's first of all death in the symbolism. Going under the water is symbolic of when Jesus died, I died. It wasn't just his death, it was our death. For what? Our sins. For wages of sin is death. In dying, Jesus paid the price for my pardon. My guilt, my shame, and my sins were nailed to the cross. Your sin and my sin got forgiven, got cleansed, got pardoned by what Jesus did. And so this amazing gospel truth, Hebrews 2.8. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. I come from a culture of shame. So I know intimately what it feels like to do stuff where I'm like, he's ashamed of me. How amazing is it? that no matter what we do, what we did last night, what we're going to do tomorrow, Jesus says, I will never, ever be ashamed of you. Is that good news? There is no more shame. He says, it doesn't matter what you do, because yet to all who believe in John 1, 12, he gave the right to become children of God. We get him as father. We get him as our older brother. And there is nothing that we do Nothing that we do that would cause shame in Jesus. Is anybody here haunted by their past? Is anybody paralyzed by regret? The gospel says you need to stop punishing yourself for debts that God already paid in full. Your slate has been wiped clean by God's amazing forgiving grace. If that's good news, clap to that. In baptism, we are declaring, you guys, that God's ability to clean things up is infinitely greater than our ability to mess things up. Yeah. Our sin reaches far in time and place, but God's grace reaches further. God's grace is so massive, so expansive, so wide-ranging. There's no place you might be now. There's no place where you've been in the past. There's no place you'll go in the future that's beyond the reach of God's grace. Baptism says you're not the mistakes you've made. Baptism says you're not labels that the world or our society puts on you. Baptism says you're not who your father said, your mother said. Baptism is who your family told you were. Baptism says you are a child of God, beloved son and daughter, and nothing can ever change that. 
Do you know why my favorite passage in Scripture is Romans 8? Because it begins with, therefore there's no condemnation, and it ends with, therefore there's now no separation. Baptism. No more condemnation, no more separation. Oh, man. That's just his death, though, and his resurrection. Baptism also represents his resurrection, coming up out of the water, symbolic of when Jesus rose to new life. I rose to new life. Hello, somebody. It wasn't just his resurrection. It was my resurrection. In baptism, we are declaring, I am a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I'll tell you what that means. Baptism is declaring, I'm not who I want to be, but I am not who I once was. And I don't say that because I feel it. I don't say that because there's experiential evidence. I say that because God declares it so. I am becoming somebody new. God already, check this out, God already sees me that way. God doesn't see you in progress. God sees you and me as the finished product and treats us accordingly. As a new creation, Jesus calls me his brother. Satan, you could accuse me all you want of what I'm this, what I'm not, but I know who I am in Christ. I have a new story now. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. There's this part of me that's so selfish, so sinful, so messed up, and the Bible calls that the old nature, the old man. And listen to this, you guys. That's what had to die. Jesus didn't die so that I didn't have to die. Jesus died so that I can die to the nature with him. He was crucified so that I can crucify that old nature with him. Baptism, you're declaring, I'm not, you're not declaring I'm perfect, I'm not so, you're declaring I am no longer the man I used to be. And check this out, that old me, the clock is ticking on that old me. When Jesus died, I died. I am becoming remade in his image. So those sins, those habits I still struggle with, I surrender them to God. I put them on the cross. And by his spirit, God will help me get free. And in moments of failure, I don't run from God. I run to him. In moments of failure, I don't run from community. I run to community. When I mess up, I don't dwell in despair. I don't live in denial. I come clean. I confess. I repent. I make amends to the people that I hurt. And then, listen, I let go. I let go. I refuse to let my sin, I refuse to let my past dictate, define me. Why? Because God says, I am new. I am becoming new. He sees me that way. Is this good news? Baptism. It's a declaration, I have died to Christ, and I am new in him. Baptism is an identification with death and resurrection. Secondly, baptism is identification with Christ's body. That is the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. At the moment of baptism, not only do we become so united, so joined to Christ, when you get joined to Christ, you get joined to his body. That's why salvation doesn't just bring you into intimacy with God. It brings you into community with a bunch of people that are messy, that are flawed, that are jacked up, that are, you know, just like you and me. Do 
you know why baptism is so countercultural? It's not because people in the world are like, why would somebody go into the water come down? It's countercultural because you and I are declaring this prophetic message. In baptism, we are saying, I reject this notion that I can be a Christian on my own. I reject this notion that I don't need the church or Christians to Christian. I reject this notion because I am declaring that in baptism, the only way that I can be a follower of Jesus is with other people who are part of my body. It is a countercultural declaration of saying, I will die to that old narrative that says I can be an individual solo Christian. I don't need anybody. That is unfathomable to biblical faith. And in baptism, you're not just giving lip service to this. Yes, I am a part of that body. Because we've been talking about this for the last four or five weeks, about how following Jesus needs to be done in community. You are not just giving mental assent, but you are actually saying, with my life, I am committed to doing covenanting with these people as the local expression of the body of Christ. And no, it's not perfect. And it's messy. But thank God that he accepts me who's not perfect and who's not messy. Can I get an amen? So in baptism, you are declaring, I am identified with not just Jesus' body. What does it look like, Peter? Here's what it looks like. It means that you show up on Sundays. Why? So you could check off a list? I went to church. I'm a good Christian. No! How often do you and I forget that I am a part of a body all the time? This is a reminder on a weekly basis. I can only be who I am because of others. And corporate worship, good Lord, do you realize that when he leads worship, you and I are reminded that unless we see other people bring out other parts of God, we have a limited, monocultural, monoethnic, mono view of Jesus. But all of a sudden, worship, we realize, man, our God is big, he is diverse, he is wide, he is huge. You're also committing not just, but joining a life group. Why? Check lift. I'm a good Christian. No. The only way you can live a Christian life is you have a group of people where you, you are known and you are knowing. You are loved and you are loving. A group of people where your soul can flourish and you can only flourish when you're transparent, when you're real, when you're accountable. You're also committing to serve. Why? Check off a list of a Christian. No. God says if you're here, you have something to offer to this church, which means that if you are not offering your gift, we can't be who we are without you. That means that God is your kingdom assignment. And that means you realize that what I do is helping build up this body. So if I'm a spectator, I am passive, then this body can't be fully what God wants it to be. And you also give material resources, time, money. Why? Because you realize this is not mine. It's God's. I'm just a steward of it. And all the things that I do to contribute, participate in this church's ability to fulfill mission. This is why we're asking you to become members. Membership is literally baptism. I just wanted to throw that out there, by the way. Because membership is saying, I am covenanting. I'm covenanting to doing life with you. I'm covenanting, okay? I don't just want to sleep with you. I want to be married to you. Can I get an amen? I'm not just going to come and go as I wish. I'm not just going to be here when I have time. I'm not just going to be here when I feel like it. No, I want to be here to be fully committed to you. If you're sitting there going, well, what's in it for me? First of all, why does it have to have to be about you? 
This isn't about you. Can I get an amen? It's not about, but if you think, oh, is there something in it for me? Yes, there's something in it. You know what's in it for you? You could finally experience a real flourishing relationship. The reason is so many of us, we're so hungry and starved for relationships. We're walking out there, hooking up and then all these relationships. But why is it our soul is never quite fulfilled? I'll tell you exactly why. Because in a consumer individual society, relationships go like this. If I have time, I'll be here. If I want to, I'll be here. But the moment it longer meets my needs, I'm out of here. And in that relationship, you can never build trust. But when two people have said, you're not going anywhere? I ain't going anywhere. Even when you see ugly. Even when I see ugly. Even when I don't really like you. Even when you don't really like me. Like through thick and thin. Through thick and thin. For real? For real. Okay, I'm going to let my guard down. In a covenant relationship, you have a zone of safety. You have a zone in which you can say, I'm going to stop pretending because I'm not afraid you'll reject me. I'm going to stop putting on a mask because I'm afraid that you might just go, well, we're done. In a zone of safety, in a zone of trust, in a committed relationship, you are saying, all that I am, in my full self, I will show up. You want that from other people, right? You got to lead the way. Just on a side note, I'm serious. Let me just say this. If you're single... There's no other way for you to experience meaningful relationship that will flourish unless you're with somebody who says, no matter what, I will never leave you. Because only in that context will you be able to trust anybody. It's identification with the body of Christ, you guys. But then there's one more. Because this is new community after all. We don't just preach a vertical gospel. We don't just preach a personal gospel, do we? No. So there's one more, and that is identification with this kingdom mission. Remember this truth. Free people. Free people. Free people. For, what do I mean? Our very identity as free people, deliver people, rescue people, means that we live with a commitment to champion those who are not yet free. It causes us to live with a commitment to the oppressed, the abused, the bullied, the captured, the disenfranchised, the enslaved, the forgotten, the hated, the ignored, judged, killed, lynched, and marginalized. People of the Exodus know what it's like to be ground down to the ground by power. We know what that feels like. That means that when we see it happening elsewhere, that means see, when we see power structures grinding other people down to the ground, we speak up, we act, we march, we give. We are people of the Exodus. That means as free people, we free people. Can I get an amen? So baptism is not just, I'm identified with Christ. That is the beginning, the foundation. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's not just identifying with the body. I'm committed to a life with you so I can flourish too. It's also commitment to identify with the cause of Christ. Does anybody want to get baptized today? Yes. So here's what baptism is. Powerful declaration of the gospel. Every time, every time someone gets baptized, we're witnessing a drama that visually, viscerally presents the reality of God's power to rescue those he calls his known. Which means if it's a declaration of the gospel, you got to what? Declare it. Declare it. You got to tell it. 
You gotta tell it. That's what you have to tell. You can't just sit there go, I've been delivered, I've been rescued, I'm a part of this body. Just gonna do. You gotta declare it. That's what Miriam did. That's what Miriam did. Moses says. Verse Exodus 51, I'll sing to the Lord for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. In baptism, you are declaring for everyone to see he is a God of rescue. He is a God of deliverance. I have a story to tell. And not only am I sharing a story, baptism also saying, my story also includes, I will follow him. I'm committed to him. I am not ashamed of the gospel or his name. You could tell me what I was in the past. You could tell me stuff that I've done. It don't matter. I've died. I've risen with Christ. I am becoming somebody new. And it's all by grace and grace alone. So I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it, not just with my words. I'm going to tell it through this act of baptism. To which you go, up here, if you do that, I mean, it's one thing for me to go, hey, God's rescued me, delivered me. Isn't that cool? It's another thing to go, and I want everybody here to know I am serious about this Jesus. Because then all of a sudden, the accountability, what? Goes way up. It's like people go, you did that. Uh-huh, I did. Way up. You did that, uh-huh. And you're going, I don't want that accountability. Yes, you do. Do you know why? Do you know why you want that accountability? Because in that accountability, you're inviting other people to walk with you and go, when you fall down, I'm not judging you. I'm helping you. When you mess up, I'm not disconnecting. I am coming alongside because the commitment that you made, we're all making and we're all going to do this together. Baptism is a declaration I'm perfect. Baptism is a declaration I'm never going to mess up. Baptism is a declaration I am following Jesus. I am serious about him. I am done playing games. I am no longer a Christian by name only. I will give my life. I am going all in. That's what baptism means. That's what baptism means. Oh, man. It's a powerful declaration of the gospel. It's the most powerful sermon this church will ever hear. Your baptism tells the greatest story, the story where you have the biggest microphone. Do you know what happens in baptism? This is why it's so powerful, and I am so mad at myself for not doing it more often. See right there, that's the church. That's the body of Christ. Thank you, Nate. Because baptism, when I see people being, it caused me to worship. Because it's a visual reminder that happened to me. That happened to me. I've been rescued. I've been delivered. God, by grace, amazing grace. That's me. That's my story. When you do that, you're telling my story. You're telling my story. And when you get baptized as an obedience, whoo, challenges me. Like, how's my obedience? Mm-hmm. How's my obedience? He willing to do that? Am I following Jesus and obeying his commands? Baptism is the most powerful sermon this church will ever hear. We together as a body go, your story is my story. That encourages, challenge, exhorts me. Two questions, and then we're done. First, why do we immerse? Some of y'all were sprinkled. (laughs) 
Okay, I gotta, be, I gotta be respectful. Hold on, hold on. I just caught myself. I just caught myself. Peter Hong, don't do that. Don't do that. So I don't want to knock on other church traditions, okay? Because I've got all kinds of traditions. You'd laugh at me if you found out. So, now here's the reason why we immerse and not sprinkle. First, the word baptize is literally the Greek word baptizo. It's one of those words we didn't translate. We just literally took the same Greek word and just use it today. Baptizo literally means to dip, to dunk, and to immerse. That's literally what the word means. Secondly, secondly, it was the way that baptism was administered in the first century church for the next two, three hundred years before church tradition took over and started doing other things. Third, in light of everything that I said today, the sprinkling visually display the weight of God's rescue. That's why we immerse. Secondly, some of y'all going, do I need to be rebaptized? Because you're going, I was baptized as a baby. I was baptized as a baby. Well, I'll say two things respectfully. Number one, did you have any say so in what happened when you were a baby? If baptism is a, dec- a personal declaration, chances are most of us did not have any say-so in terms of, unless you were, I don't know, like six months old and you can talk. Most of us didn't have say-so in terms of whether we were willing to say, this is something that I want to do. That's why baby baptisms and christening and so on and so forth, to me, to me, I'm me humble here, I don't have all knowledge, to me, doesn't get to the essence of what baptism is, a declaration of the gospel. And then secondly, the question is, what did it mean for you? What did baptism mean? Because here's the thing, it's not about the mode, it's the meaning. If this is what baptism means, and by the way, anybody that want to argue with me, please come on up. I'm being arrogant. Anybody want to argue about what baptism means, paedo-baptist, infant baptism, come on up. I'd love to converse with you and why I think baptism isn't circumcision of the Old Testament. I'd love, to, I'd love to talk with you. But for many of us who are like, I was baptized as a baby, well, I was baptized as a little kid, but I had no idea what it meant, the meaning of it. And so you're going, I didn't know what the meaning of it, and if the sense of the meaning of it is what really matters, you're going, can I be rebaptized? Will God go, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You already did that once. Frankly, I don't, yeah, I don't think God's going to fall off the throne because you're getting rebaptized. <laughs> I don't think God's going to go, no, don't do that. Here's why I think getting rebaptized, if you choose to, is perfectly okay if you've been baptized once. There is a story in the book of Acts, which I'm going to tell you. Apostle Paul is minding old business walking through the city of Ephesus, okay? And he runs into 12 Disciples of John, John the Baptist. And this is how the story goes. John the Baptist. Acts 19.1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. These are John the Baptist's disciples. And he asked them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, so Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Verse 4, Paul said, look, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. 
He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. So here's what's happening. John's Baptist, John the Baptist disciples are walking around. They have no idea that Jesus came, died, and rose. And they're just baptizing people and talking about John's message, which was a critical forefronter of, forerunner of Jesus. And he's telling them that. So they have no idea any of this happened. So Paul encounters them, and uh, that's what the conversation is. Have you been baptized? They said, well, yeah, no, we were baptized by John. And Paul says, that's not what Christ came to do. So look what happens in verse 6. On hearing this, they were baptized. You know, when you get baptized, you're already baptized. I know, but what that meant? What that meant? And now what this means? So what do I do, Paul? I get baptized again. Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. You guys. We are having a baptism service this Easter. There's no sermon. Believe it or not, there's no sermon. I'm not preaching. Because this Easter, that's going to be the sermon. There's no more for me to say. I, I am being completely honest with you. I don't need to say any more outside of the story of God's deliverance that will be told by a group of people who are saying, I want to be baptized to declare the gospel. So here's what we're doing. You received in your bulletin an insert. And it has three boxes. First is, those of you that are sitting here, and here's the thing. You're like, I don't need to hear anymore. I, I, I need to be baptized. I've been maybe holding this off. I've been, but I need to be baptized. I don't need to hear. I need to be baptized. And maybe you're even telling your friend, look, look, will you be, you too, you too? Check the first box, and you have two places. You could come up. Bring it here in front of the cross. I thought it, it, it was powerful, actually. They would put the basket right in front of the cross. Because what better way to say, I want to be baptized, to say, I'm following you. I am following you. I'm with you. I'm all in. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I'm going to do this perfect. I am all in. Or, or, if that freaks you out a little bit, you can go and drop it off at Newcomb Central, where Susie and other folks will also have a basket. If you don't want to do either, because you're going, I need to think about this some more, which is totally okay. I need to think about this some more. Next Sunday, same thing. Basket here, basket there, okay? Or, or you could email our church office with the information on the card, name, contact information, only baptized. If there's like 40 baptisms on Easter Sunday, it would be glorious. Okay? It will be glorious. Who knows? I always underestimate CC. I always do this. When will I learn my lesson? When Jesus comes, probably. Probably. <laughs> probably. Probably. But I told my staff, I said, you know what, guys? Maybe we could only limit it, restrict. I completely changed my mind, staff. Okay? I want it to be utter chaos in here. I want it to be, I want it to be bonkers in here. Okay? And he says, I want it to be utterly bonkers. Can I get Amy for bonkers? Like, I want it to be bonkers in here. Okay? I want people with wet hair, wet, just, just, just running around doing all crazy, crazy. It will be amazing. This is going to be a sort of moment in our church. Amazing. So that's you. 
Secondly, if for whatever reason you're going, I'm not ready or I'm not going to be here on Easter, but I would love to be baptized at some point. We're not just doing this on Easter. There's going to be other moments throughout the year because this is that important. Okay? So for whatever reason, Easter, you could check the second box. The third box, class, listen, I'm not going to regurgitate everything that I said today. The class is for two reasons. Number one, it's for you to be able to come and get some instructions and directions about what will happen on Easter Sunday or when you do get baptized because there are details, technical things you need to know about clothes and when to come and all this other stuff. Secondly, and most importantly, think of how amazing it is in a room full of people, smiles on their face going, you getting baptized this Easter? You, 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 you. The community and the sense of community of saying, not only is this me and God, but this is us together. That is powerful. So we just want to get you all in a room together and let you all go at it, okay? Here's what I want to do. Cece, come on up. I said to the staff, I said, I am nervous. And I confessed to them before the service. I said, you know what, guys? I said, I could preach. I could preach my heart out. But in no way do I want my words to guilt, to manipulate, or coerce anybody here to do anything that they're not being prompted by God. That's why if I was more of a hindrance, I would have rather just said, we're getting baptized, go ahead and do it, you guys, rather than being a hindrance to anybody here listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is for the next two minutes, literally two minutes, in the quietness of your seat, you have that card. For those of you that are ready, fill out your name, contact information, and check the box. Just sit and listen to God. Because if you heard and sensed and prompted by the Holy Spirit at some point today going, that's me, I need to do it, don't ignore it. Don't say later. Don't, don't ignore that voice. Don't ignore that. Respond to it, you guys. Respond to it. You heard right. You heard from the Lord. Yes. So respond to it. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. If you're scared, say, God, I'm scared. I don't know why it freaks me out a little bit, but it freaks me out a little bit. Be honest with the Lord about how you feel, honest with where you're at. That's all he asks. But if you have a story of a God who says, I bring, wherever there's water, there's a way, I bring rescue, redemption, healing. I am a God who goes before you, I am Yahweh. Jehovah Malfalti, I am deliverer. And I want to I want to declare this. I want to declare this in front of my church family, in front of my friends. Any point from this moment till when you leave the sanctuary or go home, will you just listen? the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God would say to you and act and respond in obedience.
I've prayed that this Easter we will see elder saints who maybe been in church all their lives in their 60s and 70s getting baptized with kids, children. I've prayed that baptism this Sunday will be represent this Easter Sunday will be representative of the larger family, the household of God. And the declaration that God delivers six, seven-year-olds and God delivers 80-year-olds. God has no age limit. God has no time limit. Our God is a God of rescue. So don't listen to me. Listen to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit and respond, child of God, son of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus. Worship team, if you guys could come on up. Church, can we all stand together as we sing this hymn?